when I think about mental health and national security, I would tell you it's actually a national security issue. And so we want the individuals that are supporting the most important missions that our national security demands to be physically and mentally well and healthy. Hey, listeners, Lindsay and Carolyn here. Before we jump in, I want to let you know that this episode contains discussions about suicide. If that's not something you're ready to listen to right now, please feel free to skip this one. We'll see you next time. And take care of yourself. Hi, and welcome to the New Rules of Business by Chief. I'm Carolyn Childers. And I'm Lindsay Kaplan, and we're the co-founders of Chief, the network of the most powerful women in business. Each episode, we unravel complex business trends and challenge preconceived notions of leadership. And today, we're talking about the executive's role in supporting employees' mental health. Because 87% of people say that actions from their employer would help their mental health. It makes sense, because whether we like it or not, we do spend most of our time at work. And when that environment is stressful or frustrating, it can be really harmful for folks that are already struggling with their mental well-being. Right. But for leaders, it can be really tough to know which actions to take. And honestly, in a lot of companies, it can feel almost impossible to even bring up the topic. That's why I'm so impressed by our guest today, Amy Gilliland. She's leading the conversation about mental health in the defense industry, which historically has been very male-dominated and bureaucratic. Absolutely. It's probably one of the most challenging environments to spark conversations about the importance of mental health. Let's dig into the program she implemented and how we can all do better when it comes to supporting the mental well-being of our teams. Take it away, Carolyn. Amy Gilliland is the president of General Dynamics Information Technology and a mental health advocate. Thanks for joining us, Amy. So great to be here. I've watched the two of you build this amazing community that you're building with awe, and I'm just glad to be able to share some time with you. Yeah, same. Well, before we jump into lots of topics, we'd love to just first learn a little bit more about your background. I know you actually started your career in the U.S. Navy. I did, yeah. So I grew up the child of a single-parent household, and so my great-grandfather actually raised me, and he was an immigrant from Switzerland. And coming to the United States, he served in the Navy, and I can remember many mornings sitting around the breakfast table with him having him talk to me about the importance of service. And so that got me interested. I grew up just outside of Baltimore, and that's close to the Naval Academy, and sort of decided as a child that that was my aspirational goal to go to the Naval Academy. That led me to the Navy, and I served on both surface combatants and also in a variety of other jobs in the Navy. And then finally, met my husband and made a very difficult decision to get out. And so making that decision to pivot and leave the military was one that I struggled with because the mission and service to country from childhood years was something that was always important to me. And that's really how I ended up at General Dynamics. Had a variety of jobs at our corporate headquarters from investor relations to chief of staff for the CEO to running HR for the corporation. And then had this incredible opportunity to come out and lead a business unit of 
what is now about 28,000 employees in the IT services business, which is a super dynamic industry to be a part of. And I'm having a great time. That's an incredible career journey. And for people who aren't familiar, can you share more about the culture of the defense industry, especially when it comes to issues like mental health? Sure. No, I will say, first of all, that the culture of the defense industry is very much changing. So to all of those that might be interested in coming and being a part of technology and contributing to the mission, today's defense industry is not the same as it was five years ago, 10 years ago, et cetera. But historically, the defense industry can be very formal, buttoned up. It can be very bureaucratic, sort of like the military, which is the customer it serves. It hasn't been my personal experience, and I'm working to change that. But that is how it's perceived and certainly the stigma that might be out there. And you said it has changed over the last five, 10 years. How has it changed in your mind? Well, so first of all, there's definitely more diversity in the industry, and also I'd say there's more competition in the industry, and I think that that has helped the industry evolve itself. We've had women leaders, which had not happened historically, for instance. And really, as we have the retirement of employees that have served the national security industry for decades, we need to attract new talent. And attracting that new talent requires doing things in some different ways. And I think that that has, in a positive way, caused us to evolve. Yeah. I mean, you have a team of 2,800 at Chief, we're 250. So, like, I am in awe of how many people. 28,000. 28,000. Wow. Okay. Now I'm really in (laughs) awe. I can't even think in those terms. (laughs) So, I know a lot of the work that GDIT does is obviously classified. And I'm sure that has to have a big impact on the company culture and ways of working. And Mm -hmm. how does that really play into the type of culture that you try to create? So it's so interesting. I really, like I commented at the beginning, I've watched you all as you try to build this community of women. And I'm trying to build a community inside my company. Going back to the discussion we were having a moment ago, I don't want a large bureaucratic company. When you think of 28,000, you probably think of this, you know, huge company that is very transactional. And we are trying to create a culture here that is informal and people-oriented and one that feels more like a community, a place that you want to be a part of, familial, if you will. And what can be difficult with the intelligence employees, and we have thousands of them here, as they work in places where they can't have their cell phones and where they can't have access to company resources online. And so as we're trying to build that community and reach out to them and have them feel supported or be a part of shaping this company that we're building, sometimes that can be difficult. So we have been looking at tools that we can put on their handheld devices so that when they're not in those secret spaces that they can have easy access to what we're providing. I have made it an effort to go out to these spaces and visit the employees, but that can be definitely a hurdle in terms of really drawing them in and making them a part of the transformation that we're having here at GDIT. And I know that part of that transformation is around mental health, but that started from a very personal and difficult space for you and your colleagues. Could you share part of that story? Yes. So, In September, late August of 2021, 
I was on vacation with my family at a lake locally, and it was the first Monday to wake up. You know that Monday when you wake up on vacation, you're like, okay, I'm on vacation today. And the first text and then call that I had was that one of my employees that supported our headquarters function had committed suicide. And that was really eye-opening for me in part because in my own personal circles, I had been not directly but indirectly exposed to at least two other suicides in the prior month. And as a company, we were noticing that people were languishing. They were struggling. The emotional fatigue was real, and you could see it on their faces. And with 28,000 employees, it makes sense that we would be representative of the broader population. And so went out and looked at some of the statistics, 20% of adults struggling with mental health issues in any given year, half of those adults not seeking support. 70% of adults saying that their children, as a result of the pandemic, were dealing with mental struggles. Veterans, which represent a huge part of my workforce, 25 to 30%, have a higher rate of suicide. They just published that suicide rose 4% in 2021. So, and it is a second cause of death for 15 to 36-year-olds. So there's a real issue here. And it became apparent that we needed as an employer to be a part of the safety net. Because when it's not just the suicide that is so shocking and so desperately sad for that family, but for all the employees that were interacting with that employee, they just, I watched them grapple with how could this happen? How could I not know? We talked about what we needed to do, and we launched this campaign because we all ask each other all the time, how are you? Right. But usually it's kind of a perfunctory question, and you may have already moved on to what you want to ask next or even moved on or walked away. And this was, I'm asking you because I want to know really how you are. And that campaign, we paired with a really aggressive set of resources for our employees. We had 100 sessions plus of different ways to start talking about mental health challenges, resources that we had available, and it has been so well received from our employees. Our goal was really to take the stigma away from mental health challenges and make it okay for employees to say, hey, I'm not okay right now. Yeah. How did you decide that this was the best way to go forward with this initiative? Like, were there ideas, inspiration, research that you were kind of drawing on to determine that this campaign was the best way to help your company and help the employees around you? I will tell you that we had, for a company of our size, we know sort of what we have to do to really reach all employees and what that takes. And we had just been through a major integration. So the company doubled in size from 2017 to 2018. So we went from being about 20,000 employees to being about 40,000 employees at that time. And so we learned a lot about communication. And then throughout COVID, we learned a lot about the different variables that employees like to receive their communications in, how, what appeals to them, what do they open, do they open emails, do they open text? Do they open videos? And what we knew is that this needed to be different. It couldn't be a one-and-done kind of campaign. And we also know that it needed to be personal. So it needed to be developed by us, for us. And so 
if you're trying to debunk a stigma of needing mental health, it also had to sort of meet employees where they were. So we wanted it to be catchy, and how are you really is sort of provocative, but also very approachable. We use very relatable language. We wanted it to be okay um, and safe for people to talk about this. And I will tell you, it is the brainchild of one of our communications employees, and she got it exactly right. And we've received such positive feedback. Well, I imagine these conversations can be uncomfortable. So what, in your experience, does an effective conversation at work around mental health really look like? I know it's interesting. We actually provided training on that. Oh, wow. So it is one of those awkward kinds of conversations, and everybody is going to react or have those conversations differently. But you can distill it into some pretty simple components. And we've had hundreds of our employees and managers take that training, not because we mandated it, because they actually wanted to do it. But I would say the most basic part is just to ask, how are you really? And it's interesting. I know we've succeeded here when an employee asked me after a tough meeting last week, hey, Amy, how are you really? So it is something that we ask each other often. So that's a great opener. What else are the important fundamentals to really have these type of conversations? The basics of these conversations is you don't want to make the employee that you're asking uncomfortable. So how can you be concerned without interfering with an employee. And I'd say different people handle that differently. So the training is really helping people imagine different ways to do that. You mentioned a large percentage of your employees are veterans. So when you thought about this campaign reaching them, did that help you decide what filters you were using to make sure you were reaching this important cohort? I think one of the important things, and going back to that training for a second, you know, you need to to know the right moment to ask somebody this question always. Mm. And so on the veteran side, you want to make people feel comfortable and like they're in a safe environment. And so one of the ways that you make a big company feel like a small company is through community groups. And so we have employee resource groups. We have one that is called Honor. That is for our veterans. September was Suicide Awareness Month, and we had a suicide discussion with some of the leading 501c3 groups that support the veteran community on suicide come. And people could ask questions in that session. We didn't tape it so that people can ask questions anonymously, but just creating a safe environment where veterans can come to with people that are like-minded. And that seems to have been a really effective way to reach our veterans. You know, we are very targeted to our veterans from the very start, from recruiting them to onboarding them to mentoring them, because they have had a very valuable but very different career experience and how can we make them feel comfortable. And so we do draw on lessons that we've learned from those experiences to how can we tailor mental health resources or discussions in a way that will be very beneficial mm. or that these veterans may receive better. Yeah. I mean, you talked at the very beginning about the change that the industry is undergoing, and I'm sure there are a lot of advocates around this type of work. There's probably some, though, that are okay with the status quo or 
just uncomfortable with the change. So what do you say to people who may not be in the advocate bucket for you? Yeah, it's pretty simple for me, Carolyn. When I think about mental health and national security, I would tell you it's actually a national security issue. Mm. And so we want the individuals that are supporting the most important missions that our national security demands to be physically and mentally well and healthy. And if they are not, then they are not either present at their job or they're not bringing their best selves to their job or they're not reliable. And so to the extent that we can help our employees come to their jobs focused and feeling healthy, whether that be physically or mentally, I believe that that is in support of our national security. And it's interesting. At the beginning, I think that I maybe anticipated that there would be more pushback than there has. But people have been so receptive of this. And for instance, in the intelligence community, that is a place where historically there has been an even greater stigma around mental health because people have clearances. And there is actually in the paperwork for a clearance a requirement to report certain types of things. And so the legend over the years was that if you reported that you had mental health challenges or that you were seeing somebody for a mental health issue, that you would lose your clearance. And people were reluctant to do so. Well, (laughs) the facts are that In very, very, very rare instances do people lose their clearances. Actually, the intel community, for all the reasons that I just said, they want healthy employees serving the mission. And there are a number of resources that the intel community offers in and of themselves to help. Yeah, and it's interesting because you talk about how this is easy once you share the data. And I read that upwards of 70% of employees would leave their current employer to go to one offering mental health resources. So to me, this is actually really good business sense to think about mental health. So what are some other things leaders should consider when it comes to caring for employees' mental well-being? You have to appeal to employees and help them know you don't maybe have all the answers, but you are listening to them and that you are rolling out resources to help them. So for instance, one of the things that we heard from employees is there are so many caregivers and that takes up a whole bunch of time. And so we rolled out a new resource called Wealthy. And essentially it's a concierge service that helps people deal with things like medical insurance, scheduling employees. So maybe you need help with elder care. Maybe you have uh, children with special needs. Maybe you have a child that is dealing with depression and you need some recommendations. So how can we continue to evolve our offerings to respond to the world that we are dealing with? So I think it's something that has to be dynamic also. I love that because I think mental health issues are not always, but often an output of the stress and the unbearable pressure of being a worker. When you think about mental health, it's not just treating some of the issues down the line, but thinking around what will relieve some of that pressure and alleviate some of the stress that is causing them issues. What can leaders do more day to day to really help support the mental well-being journey? I really think it's that engagement. particularly in this hybrid world that we're living in now, it is taking five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes 
but really asking employees how they're doing. And I know that seems simple and perhaps even trite, but it is easy in the world that we live in not to do that. And what I find employees really want, they want to be seen. They want to be heard. And sometimes that's about how their contributions are at work. But life is hard. It's really hard right now. People have a lot of anxiety about everything from inflation to what Putin might do with nuclear missiles, right? I mean, there's a lot going on in the world. Amy, you're making me, you're stressing me out, Amy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so how are you really? Mm -hmm. Those performance conversations that people used to have once a quarter or once a year or whatever it is, those don't suffice. And really checking in and just saying, hey, is there anything you need? That's simple. And when that becomes custom in every meeting, it starts to become part of the culture and inculcated in the fabric of the company. And really, ultimately, that is also good for business, right? We want to drive that kind of empathy and compassion together with accountability. You have to perform your job, but we care about you and how you're doing. Yeah, yeah. it's one of the pitfalls of going remote because at Chief, we're remote first. We start these meetings, we have these Slack exchanges, and it takes out some of that seeing you in the hallway, how are you? How are you doing? As managers, we need to remind ourselves to really show that empathy and take the time to ask people how they are really doing. And I love that you make it so simple, especially in a time that, yeah, there's a market downturn. I think people are really thinking through costs and this doesn't cost a lot to just ask somebody like, how are you doing really? Yeah, no, it's exactly right. I couldn't agree with both of you more. So this is the new rules of business. And so if you could write a new rule of business for us to do better when it comes to supporting our employees' mental health, what is the new rule? The new rule for me is that everything is different. So the employees that came back from COVID are not the same humans that worked here before COVID. And so how we treat them and support them must also be different. And compassion and empathy, that is a new rule of leadership together with accountability, but Compassion can be part of that, and part of compassion to me is asking that simple question, how are you? Mm. How are you really? And that would be my new rule. That would be a mandate as part of every conversation. I love that. One of the other questions that we always love to ask our guests is, what is the best piece of leadership advice that you've ever been given, and what is the worst? (laughs) I'd say the best piece of advice that I have ever been given was be present where you are. And so for those of us who are mothers or have, you know, big things going on outside of work, it's easy to come to work and worry about what's going on at home. And it's easy to be at home and worrying about what's going on at work. And so just really focusing on wherever you are is really great advice. And I think On the worst piece of advice, that's more difficult. I was given the impression early in my career that perhaps I needed to be the expert in the room on everything. And given my somewhat unique career trajectory, I was certainly not the expert in any of them. And what I have found is that those opportunities push me beyond my comfort level and develop me profoundly. And that if you surround yourself by people that are the experts and you help them succeed, then the organization moves forward. So that has been really exciting. 
to watch. It's great bad advice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm writing that one down. (laughs) The bad advice always results in great advice, I've noticed. It does. You know, that is so true, Lindsay. Thank you again for joining us. The work you're doing is so important. And I know we all have a lot to do on this front to make sure that we're taking care of one another. And so the easiest thing for us to do is to go back to our teams and take that sentence with us. So thank you for that. Well, thank you so much for helping us spread the message and for being a part of the conversation. I think together we can tackle this. That was Amy Gilliland, president of General Dynamics Information Technology. And it was a really important, but also really inspiring conversation. Absolutely. And what it really brought home for me was this idea that there is no one-size-fits-all approach to bringing solutions about mental health into the workplace. There's no silver bullet resource that's going to work at every company. Right. If leaders want to open the dialogue about mental health in their companies, and they really should, they first need to dig deep into the culture of the challenges their employees are facing. Like how in the defense industry, the stigma around mental health stems in large part from mistaken assumptions about security clearances. Yeah, and stuff like that isn't going to come up if you just Google mental health solutions for work. So start by talking to your teams. Identify people and groups within your company that might find these conversations especially challenging and create spaces and resources that are tailored specifically to them. Because honestly, the people that are least willing to talk about mental health may just be the ones who need it the most. And if leaders really want to drive change, they can't settle. Never settle. That's another new rule of business. (laughs) Maybe it's an old rule, actually. I'd call it maybe an enduring rule. But seriously, the stigma surrounding mental health doesn't stop at the front door of your headquarters. So you might need to work with other companies and industry associations like Amy did to remove the barriers and actually change the conversation. But that doesn't mean you can't start now with a simple, how are you really? Ask it and keep asking it. It might take some time for folks to open up, but you can start creating those opportunities today. Well, I think that's the perfect way to close this one out, Lynn's. So that's all for this episode of the New Rules of Business by Chief. And we hope you are all really doing well. Don't miss out on all of our Chief content. You can get more podcast episodes by following the show on your favorite podcast app. And if you're more of a social media person, find Chief and join the conversation with us on LinkedIn. But if you're ready to up the ante and you're thinking about becoming a member of the Chief Network, head to our website, chief.com, where you can apply. As a member, you will be connected to the most powerful network of executive women across the U.S. Thanks, Sharon Yee, Courtney Conley, Mercy Harper, Blaine Edens at Chief, and to our production team, Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Amy Machado, Danielle Roth, Madison Lusby, Hannah Pedersen, and Michael Aquino. Our music is by Colin Hatch. I'm Carolyn Childers. And I'm Lindsay Kaplan. Thanks for listening. Carolyn still can't believe you have 28,000 people <laughs> reporting into you. But I have three kids at home, and so that makes that makes work look easy. Well, Carolyn has me, so. 